This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Chad. How are you? I am doing well. It's a podcasting frenzy of a night for me. I recorded uh, an episode of Cinescope earlier tonight, and now here I am sitting with you about to record episode one of our new Office podcast. I'm excited. It's happening. I'm excited, too. Can't believe it. Yeah, we are still a couple weeks out from launch. We're trying to stack up a few episodes for our listeners. So if you're listening to this now, then you are more than likely ready to listen to our next two or three episodes as well. So I hope you're enjoying it. Make sure to contact us via the info that we're going to leave later. But for now, let's just go ahead and go through and reintroduce ourselves. You might have listened to our preview. Uh, That is gone at this point. And we're going to reintroduce ourselves and sort of just go through what this podcast is. So Katie, how about you start us off? Great. So my name is Katie White. I am an actor and an arts administrator in New York City. I um, love to spend my time reading, obviously watching TV, especially The Office, watching movies, and um, one of my favorite things about living in New York is eating all the incredible food that it has to offer. If you want it, New York has it. So I've been eating a lot of really fun foods. So that's uh, a bit about myself. What about you, Chad? I am a musician and an educator, as well as a fan of films and TV and books and video games and basically just entertainment media in general. I live in Dallas, and I also host and produce the podcast I mentioned just a moment ago, the Cinescope podcast, which is just now celebrating, or nearly about to celebrate, its one-year anniversary, which is really cool. And that is a show about the movies we love and why we love them. So that's me. Now, talking about Cinescope just a little bit before we talk about this show, you know, Cinescope was born from a state of frustration. I was so tired of the negativity that is so typical in popular film criticism, especially online nowadays. So I wanted to create a show that focuses on what we love about movies rather than what we hate about them. So each week, every episode, I and a different co-host talk about a movie we love and why we love that movie. And there is very little to no time that we use uh, to dedicate to criticism or to rankings or ratings at all. It's all about movies we love. And so, you know, if we're talking about a movie on Cinescope, it comes with our highest recommendation. That's always been the goal. And for that reason, it's a really fun show to do. And as it's progressed, I've thought about ways to include discussion on TV as well. And so from that came the idea to create a new podcast that focuses exclusively on a show that I love and watch through twice in the last year alone. So here we are. Here we are. Chad and I um, actually went to college together in Texas at Texas Tech. We were both music majors there. Chad studied French horn and um, sang quite a bit as well, which is um, what I studied. I studied classical voice. And we had a lot of the same classes together, so um, we kind of became friends that way. But since graduation, we've really just kept up a a relationship, a friendship, mostly through Twitter, which is kind of the magic of the internet. So when Chad got the idea to um, start this podcast for The Office – he knew that I was a big fan of the show and graciously asked me to host with him. So we kind of tackled this project together and have been um, Google docking and texting and calling furiously for the past couple of weeks to make this happen. So we're really, really excited that it's uh, finally coming to fruition. And um, this is episode one. It's happening. 
It is happening, and I'm glad to have a sort of permanent co-host this time around. As I mentioned with Cinescope, I have a different person on with me every week, which is lots of fun. I get a lot of different opinions from it, but for something like this, I wanted somebody a little bit more steadfast, and so I was glad to get you, who I also knew was a fan of this show, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching through the whole thing with another fan. So let's talk about what this podcast specifically is going to be and what it's not going to be. So for starters, it's a rewatch. We're two fans of The Office. We're rewatching the show together. We're experiencing the show together. And yes, the audience, you, we are hoping that you're going to contact us and experience it with us. We want you to email. We want you to tweet, Facebook, whatever means of communication works best for you. We want you to reach out and watch the show with us and share your thoughts on upcoming episodes and all that kind of stuff so that we can get you as involved as possible. And it's going to be a discussion between us. We'll be talking about two episodes of The Office per podcast episode of An American Workplace. So, for instance, in this episode, in our episode number one, we'll be talking about The Office Pilot and Diversity Day, which is the second episode of season one of The Office. We'll be talking about um, plot points. We'll be talking about how the characters interact with each other over the series and over seasons and over episodes, just kind of how they grow to be the characters that we know and love. The best, most hilarious moments, the saddest moments, because believe it or not, in a comedy like this, there are some really touching moments as well. Right. And something new for, I think, both of us is that we're actually watching the series on DVD, which I had never done before. Every single time I've watched The Office in the past, it was via Netflix. So now for the first time, I'm, I'm getting all these kinds of cool behind the scenes information. We're watching commentaries, we're watching deleted scenes, and just experiencing the show sort of in a new light. Even though we've both seen the show through multiple times on Netflix, this is a sort of new experience. And then we're being able to talk through that experience as we go, which is really cool. And as I was preparing for this episode, I was not prepared for how much fun it was going to be to just sit and listen to cast members and crew members from the office sit and talk through an episode together. Oh, the commentaries are so fun. It's it's really cool to get to see their personalities coming through and how similar and dissimilar they are to their characters on The Office. Um, it's been a blast to listen to those. I'm I'm really glad to choose to listen to this on DVD or to to watch the The Office on DVD for the first time. It's been a lot of fun. Right. And so we're going to be bringing some of that information, stuff that you maybe haven't heard because you've only watched it through Netflix. So we're going to sort of pass that along. Yes, you can go watch the DVDs for yourself and you absolutely should. But for those of you who don't have that, who don't have access to it maybe, or who just don't want to, we're going to be bringing you a little bit of extra stuff that you don't get through just watching the show on its own. And what this podcast is not, it is not a review. We love The Office. We want to talk about what we love about this TV show, like on Chad's other podcast, Cinescope, where he talks about movies that he loves. We're here to talk about a show that we love. And of course, no show is perfect. We will levy criticism when it's appropriate, but we're here because this is a show that we really, really enjoy. For you first-timers, we won't be spoiling the future. This is a spoiler-free, as much as we can, show. We'll be talking about one episode at a time and looking at characters' growth, but we won't be spoiling what's ahead, despite both of us having watched this show through several, several times. Right. That makes it ideal for new people to the show. So if, if you haven't watched The Office before and you're just sort of tuning in because maybe you follow Katie and I for some reason, or maybe you're just tuning in because you're trying to get into The Office, this is a great show for you because we're only talking about spoilers within the episodes we're talking about in that episode. 
We also want the show to be, as we said earlier, audience centric. We're fans of The Office. Hopefully you are too, or you're going to be in the very near future. So as, as I said, make sure to engage with us on social media via comments on the website, which you can do via email, social media. So you can help us mold the show into what it's eventually going to be. We're, we're hoping to have guests on occasionally in the future. We're going to have sort of segments in the show where, where we might read information or questions or topic ideas from guests and all that kind of cool stuff. So this isn't the world's fastest rewatch. It's only two episodes of the show covered each week. There's a 201 episodes. You can, you can do the math. It's not going to be done very quickly. So we're hoping that makes keeping up with us, uh, watching just a couple episodes a week, staying involved, more manageable for some of us who may have busier schedules. So that's what the show is. That's what the show is not. And we're hoping that you're here for the ride because I'm looking forward to it. And I know Katie is too. I absolutely am. Well, I think it's time, Chad. Let's, uh, let's get started. Let's do it. So we are starting at the very beginning, as is a good place to start. We are starting with The Pilot. It aired on March 24th of 2005 and was directed by Ken Quapis. The script for this pilot episode specifically was actually taken from the original UK version of The Office, written by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, but it was adapted by the showrunner, Greg Daniels, for the US version. So, Katie, how about you walk us through sort of just... In summary, what happens in this episode? So, um, as Chad just said, this is uh, written by Ricky Gervais, who plays the Michael-like character in the UK version of The Office. And it is almost a shot-for-shot remake of the original UK version. So, in the US version here, we meet uh, Michael Scott, who's the regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Paper Products in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Dunder Mifflin is a kind of a failing paper company. It is currently under threat of downsizing from corporate. Most notable characters we meet are going to be Jim Halpert, who is a uh, lovable prankster salesman. Prankster especially to his deskmate, Dwight Schrute, who is a sort of socially clueless, brown-nosing, quote, assistant to the regional manager, which is a bit of banter that he and Michael have. Dwight's trying to climb the corporate chain a bit. And Pam Beasley, who is the receptionist, the meek, really sweet, and um, unfortunately for Jim, engaged receptionist, um, engaged to Roy, who is a warehouse worker. And um, we just kind of, in this first episode, really just get to see how these main characters really interact with each other and how they're facing possible downsizing in a failing paper company in Pennsylvania. Right. Now, just sort of Walking through the characters, you you mentioned our our main four. That's Michael, Jim, Pam, and Dwight. Mm -hmm. And so that's who the focus is mostly on in this one. And right off the bat, we start in Michael's office. He's sitting behind his desk and talking with Jim. And he assumes that Jim has come to ask for help for uh, the sale that he was unable to close with a local library. And so he makes this joke about, uh, you've come to learn from the master grasshopper. And grasshopper. It, <laughs> it's, it's an early example of Michael being this character who always seems to have to be putting on a show for someone. He's got that scene. He walks out shortly after and he's talking directly to the camera crew behind this documentary that they're shooting. And he, he makes these like, Flintstones, Pam, Pam, hitting on her receptionist desk yep. uh, references. And then later, after we meet Ryan, the temp, played by BJ Novak, he does a, first a Three Stooges 
uh, I assume. I mean, he says it's Three Stooges. I don't know the characters well enough. <laughs> the Howard. I'm I'm not familiar enough with it, but it- right. I don't know how accurate that uh, imitation is. But knowing, knowing Michael, Michael <laughs> probably not super accurate. <laughs> right. Probably not. He fancies himself a, uh, a a student of comedy, and um, I think some of the best moments that Steve Carell, who who plays uh, Michael, he's so so funny. Steve Carell is so so funny because Michael is just not. He's just he's trying so hard to be funny, and the whole office is just head in hands, wishing he would shut up. He's just. Which makes the character for the audience just that much funnier. Just watching Michael desperately try to make people laugh and fail every day. It's a, kind of a sad clown situation. It's uh, Right. Which he does so well. It's especially evident after the the Three Stooges bit when he holds up Pam's nameplate and marches around as Hitler, screaming oh. fake German. <laughs> and it's... One of the earliest examples in the show of him just not knowing when to stop a joke. He always takes it too far. And then having to explain his joke by saying, I'm Hitler. (laughs) Right, as if it wasn't obvious enough that he was holding his arm up at an angle. Yeah. Um, What other character sort of interactions stood out to you in this episode? Um, I think the, the Pam and Roy relationship is really, really interesting just watching how how they interact because Pam is this is this meek, quiet, really, really shy, sweet woman who is engaged to this I mean, lack of a better word, just a jerk. He's he tells her what to do. I mean, she asks to go to the bar with um the gym and some other friends from the office, and Roy just flat out says, No, let's go home. During her talking head when she first introduces who Roy is she talks about, yeah, we've been engaged for three years and it's going great. And we were supposed to get married back in September, but I think now we're going to get married in the spring. And throughout that, right. she's she's real sort of happy-go-lucky about it. Like, oh, this is this is a cool thing. I, I love my, my fiancé and this is going to be great. And then as the camera lingers on her after she finishes talking, her face sort of falls like, wow, I've been engaged to the same guy for three years and still nothing's happening and I can't go hang out with my friends after work. And it's just a glimpse into maybe she's not the happiest in this relationship. It's funny because this is a documentary style show. These characters sometimes don't know that the camera is on them. Um, So their face will fall when they think that no one's watching and you kind of get a glimpse into what they're saying for the camera and what they're saying to themselves, you know, and she she knows that this is not a perfect relationship, but she's she's trying to put on a brave face and she's, you know, she's been in it for three plus years. She She's trying to stick it out. And it's especially interesting when you throw this obvious, I mean, from episode one, this obvious gym infatuation. She actually reciprocates or it appears to reciprocate some of those feelings as well. In each of their own talking heads, they, they make references to each other. Or there, there's an early scene when the, the word of downsizing gets out and all the office people are commenting to each other about their fears and how about they, they, they should update their resumes. And then it cuts over to Jim and Pam at the receptionist's desk and they're talking about Angela's cat party, completely unconcerned right. <laughs> because they're just absorbed in conversation with each other. So there are several moments throughout the episode where it's just very clear that there's mutual feelings, but they can't actively reciprocate because Pam's engaged and Jim knows that Pam's engaged. And they're clearly very best friends. It's a really sweet, forced, innocent relationship. They they can't do anything about it. And um, I think one of the most touching uh, scenes of this whole episode is when 
at the very, very end when Pam leaves after she's been fake fired by by Michael um, and she's kind of drying her eyes and is trying to get her her herself together before she leaves the office for the day. She eventually does and Jim watches her go and you just see his face. You just almost hear him sigh with like, what's going to happen with us? I He obviously loves her. During that last conversation between the two of them before she leaves, I think in the commentary or one of the two commentaries for this episode, they say something about how that was basically just an improvised scene where they were just told to sort of be natural in the moment and flirt with each other a little bit. And what's really telling is while they're sitting there talking or standing there talking to each other, they're both making these like small little furtive glances toward the camera. Like they're trying to avoid doing anything that might incriminate them in her relationship with Roy. So it's interesting all throughout the show uh, in this episode, these, these little moments between these characters. And there are even moments when the, the camera is obviously spying from afar because the characters are wearing microphones because it's a documentary. Everybody needs to be heard, but you'll see in the edge of the frame that there are plants or books or stacks of papers or something because the camera is having to zoom across the office and spy on these characters. So we see right off the beginning that this isn't necessarily a traditional documentary that these filmmakers are going for. They're, they're going for more of a, 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 not an expose necessarily, but that's sort of what it's turning out being is getting really personal glimpses into these, the lives of these characters. Right. It's, it's clear that, these characters sometimes don't know that they are being filmed. In a traditional documentary, generally the subject knows that they're being filmed. Um, but you're right, it is. it does tend to lean towards an expose because they'll kind of sneak into conversations and, and you'll see the camera going through through blinds of, of an office or, or, like you said, through plants or over somebody's shoulder. And so you get to see the characters as they want to be seen and as how they really are, which is uh, a really, really interesting take on on a documentary, especially for such a mundane thing as an everyday office. Right. And then you have a character like Dwight, who the first time we see him, we see him unlocking this drawer at his desk. He pulls out his phone receiver because apparently he keeps it unattached and locked in a drawer. And <laughs> right, he's, for he's like violently singing along to Little Drummer Boy <laughs> with the, these <laughs> these hardcore drum interludes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it, it's just this insane moment. You you sort of off right off the bat, th- this character's got this strange haircut. He's got these bug eyes and these nerd glasses. And you sort of wonder, okay, what's wrong with this guy already? Because he's just so intense and apparently paranoid. And we we don't know what to think of this guy just yet. In the, in the uh, commentary for the pilot, Rain Wilson, who plays Dwight, makes a comment that somebody had described Dwight as a fascist nerd, which is just perfect because he, this, this man is all about rankings. He's all about authority and rules, but he, I mean, he's the world's biggest nerd too. I mean, he, he brown noses to Michael more than anybody. He wants to be Michael's best friend. He wants to be assistant regional manager, as Michael reminds him constantly. He is not assistant regional manager. He is assistant to the regional manager, but Gosh darn it, if Dwight's not gonna be promoted to assistant regional manager one day, that's what he strives to to be. Just a couple more character moments I wanted to mention. There's one from Jan, uh, who is the Michael's boss from corporate. And she is sitting in his office, they're having this meeting, and I am amazed at the level of restraint she shows in dealing with a character like Michael. 
because it's revealed that he threw away the agenda she sent over earlier. So he's totally unprepared for this meeting. And then he accepts a call from Todd Packer, who we haven't officially met yet. But uh, he's clearly an incredibly vulgar individual, uh, making comments about uh, hair color and other other things that I, <laughs> I don't want to get into detail of. But he, he's he's right. not a good guy. And uh, Michael is horrified. Jan doesn't say anything, though. She just sort of hangs her head and takes it a little bit. And part of that makes me wonder, or not even really wonder, Michael must be pretty good at his job outside of the antics that we see uh, him getting into around the office. Just to be kept around this long, I mean... If if he wasn't good at his job, the way he holds his office, if, gosh, why keep him around, you know? Right. There's a talking head later in the episode where he talks. He's clearly bragging, but he's trying to make it seem like not a big deal. He says, the most proud moments I have in this this office aren't when I, I raised profits by 17% or when I cut expenses without firing a single person. And he hints toward what the show, I think, is really about ultimately is it's the people. My, my proudest moments are with the people. And then he goes into this ridiculous story of a Guatemalan guy he hired yeah. first job in the, in the country, and he ends up having to fire him because he sucks, right? Offensive accents. Yeah. 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 Michael's oh, long history. Michael's of, king of the offensive accents. <laughs> yes, he is. It just makes me wonder exactly how good is he at his job because he's just such a goofball. But Jan is putting up with it. With in- incredible restraint, you're right. She, You could just see her picking her battles. She must mince her words very carefully because you can just see the gears turning in her head. Is this worth fighting about? <laughs> this man is right. such an idiot in her mind. Just, <laughs> oh God, like what, what do I even bother arguing with him about at this point? And then one of the more serious moments of the show is at the end when Michael, as you mentioned, fake fires Pam and she's sitting there crying and he finally reveals the joke, uh, quote unquote joke, and tries to to make it into this prank kind of thing. He says, oh, Ryan was into it. And we look over at Ryan, who's just this <laughs> temp character, and he's looking down at his lap and shaking his head. And that, that I think, is a, a funny early glimpse into the character of Ryan, because he's already trying to distance himself from Michael. He previously in the episode had moments where he was maybe trying to play along with Jim's joke about the, the stapler and the jello. Just small moments like that. And now he's seeing sort of exactly the kind of guy Michael is and the damage he can do and realizing, no, I think I want to back away from that just a little bit. I'm not I'm not affiliated with him. <laughs> well, and, and a fun bit of extra information is that when, when Michael asks him, are you familiar with the Jamie Kennedy experiment? BJ Novak, who plays Ryan, was, I believe, he was on Punked. I believe he was a um, a host. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he he definitely, um, the, the actor himself has had a huge history with, with practical jokes for a living. And um, then we get to see him play this character who's just witness to this horrible, horrible prank, like <laughs> firing Pam for, for um, stealing post-it notes. <laughs> Which, she's the receptionist. That's her job is to, you know, take notes on. <laughs> it's, it's just horrible. And in that moment, Michael... She's sitting there crying and Michael looks up at the camera and you you see in that moment that he knows that he took this too far. (laughs) He he just sort of looks away and he lets it sit there for a second. He says, how do I play this off? Oh, it was was just a joke. You were punked. You got to That's the best he could do. (laughs) Ryan was in on it. It wasn't just me. Right. And and 
Pam storms off with a you're a jerk and uh, that's the end of it. That's the best he could do to get out of his his error. <laughs> right. And it's it's just Michael taking jokes too far. That's what he does. That's what he does. But there are a bunch of just brilliant little comedic bits in this, J- just in the pilot. There are so many memorable lines and pranks. I mean, I know that one that sticks out for me is, I think one of the very, very first practical jokes is when we assume it is Jim. It's never really confirmed, but it's Jim puts Dwight's stapler in Jello, which is a defacement of company property, as Dwight yells. And the best part to me is that Jim is denying that he put Dwight Stapler in Jello while eating Jello. It's <laughs> right, just... <laughs> it's, a, it's a small little touch, but it's just the touch that pushes it over the comedic edge. I think it's so it's funny. Like, of course he did it, but there's no proof. And then, of course, at the end, um, we see Jim unveiling Michael's world's best boss cup in Jello. <laughs> so it's um, one of the best of of many pranks between Jim and Dwight. The really fun relationship between them. That ending with Jim putting the mug in Jello on uh, Michael's desk, I think, is a really early indicator of how these guys, yeah, they have to deal with this crazy lunatic pop culture spouting boss, but they, to a certain extent, do care about him a little bit, or at least Jim appears to, because he's getting him in on the joke. Yeah. And that that is important in the moment. It's we we've seen these characters cringe already in this episode to to Michael's antics and his jokes and yet here he is including him in on it. You just know that Michael's going to walk in the next day and laugh really hard because that's the kind of character Michael is. And so I I like that sort of small glimpse into Jim's character is he he's the funny guy but he's also um he he cares about his boss at least a little bit to the extent that he wants to make him laugh. He's the good guy too. Right. And speaking of that mug, one of the earliest moments that really makes me laugh every time I watch this episode is when Michael is talking about being the boss and he holds up his mug that says world's best boss on it. He says, I think that about sums it up. Found it at Spencer Gifts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very personalized. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It, it, it wasn't something that was bestowed upon him by his adoring employees. Yeah. This was something he went out and sought and bought for himself because he, he thinks a lot of himself. That, that's who he is. <laughs> Yes, he does. Which I'm pretty sure if if an office member had given that to him, he might have just melted and, and died right there, a happy man. <laughs> yes. Now, another funny moment for me, Michael has several that I've written down. I'll, I'll try not to read every single one of them. But I, I love the, the heroes quote where he's talking about how heroes of mine would be Bob Hope, uh, Abraham Lincoln, definitely Bono, and uh, <laughs> pr- probably God would would be the fourth one (laughs) (laughs) and he finished it off brilliant piece of uh i think they they say in the commentary that steve carell basically wrote this short monologue he says i just think these people really help the world and in so many ways that it's um it's really beyond words it's really incalculable (laughs) and he mispronounces the word (laughs) in incalculable that's hard that's that's a hard mess up and that's a brilliant one incalculable (laughs) (laughs) what other moments make you laugh in this episode there's this one moment that if you blink you'll miss it but every time i watch this episode i audibly laugh it's towards the beginning of the episode um it's it's legitimately a five second clip when dwight comes up behind jim at his desk and taps Jim on his right shoulder, but Dwight is over Jim's left shoulder. So Jim looks in the wrong direction, and Dwight just starts laughing. Like, it's such a juvenile 
elementary prank, but it's just it's those little things that make this show just what it is. It's it's those little clips and those little moments, and that's a silly one that always just gets me. Yeah, and that that's a, a fun little trick that I like to do in real life a lot of the time too, uh, much to right. <laughs> my friend's chagrin. But it, it's such an easy little prank, and it's the very it's literally the very first instance in this episode of any sort of antagonism between Jim and Dwight is Dwight tapping him on the other shoulder and just getting such glee out of just messing with him. It's just. <laughs> It's such an easy laugh. Right, and the pranks just escalate from there. Um, another Dwight moment that I really enjoy is uh, in the meeting when Dwight is trying his very best to be assistant regional manager, and he's standing up at the front of the room with Michael, and he gives him permission because Michael needed his permission to, right. to share information with the group. And Pam points out that she was in the meeting with Jan, and downsizing was possible with this branch. And Michael gets all serious for a second and says, stick to meeting confidentiality, Pam. As if he wasn't just disclosing information that Jan told him not to disclose in the first place. And Dwight echoes him, sort of uh, bullies back up. This guy who's sort of just there to antagonize along with him says, yeah, Pam, information is power. <laughs> and he looks directly at the camera for a split second and gives this little nod. And that that's another small Dwight moment that just makes me laugh. Information is power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I know this. And it's it's fun kind of guessing with these actors what was scripted and what was improv, because these are all actors with just scads of improv background, and they're all just brilliant at adding these little moments. And any time a character on this show laughs, a part of me is wondering, were they breaking or was the character actually laughing? Um, and it's kind of fun to, to guess, because Dwight could have been intentionally looking at the camera. Maybe that was scripted. Or maybe Rain Wilson just had a brilliant moment to just show the camera crew of this documentary that he knew what he was talking about. I don't know. It's just really, really fun to me to watch these these actors work. And it must have been exhausting for the cast because they talk about, again, in the commentary, that they were literally on set all day long because even if they weren't the primary focus of a shot – this is an office. This is a living, breathing environment. And so if somebody, if, if a desk appears in the background, there better be somebody sitting at that desk because that's the type of environment they're in. This is a work day. They can't just have empty desks that are supposed to be populated by people that we're going to see later. So there's, there's lots of tiny improvisations happening all throughout, whether it's Jenna Fisher as Pam making whiteouts on random documents and those getting captured by the camera crew, or whether it's, they, they mentioned something about uh, Phyllis and Stanley extending phone calls until 10 minutes after the director yells cut because they're just so in character that they're they have to finish the call they, they, they're talking to a customer and speaking of Stanley there's the moment at the end of the meeting when Michael's saying no downsizing is not going to happen here uh, they have to go through me and you ain't gonna be messing with my chillin and he and Stanley link eyes because this was clearly a very racist sort of remark and Michael realizes that staring at Stanley and Stanley just decides it's not worth it and sort of just rolls his eyes and uh, that's the end of it but it's one of our first moments with Stanley confronting Michael in a way without saying a word one of many Stanley eye rolls <laughs> <laughs> right so just a few more things from the commentary that we might have picked up first off the pilot was actually filmed six to eight months before the rest of the season so it's interesting that they, they filmed this and then they took a sort of a break from these characters and they came back to film the rest of the season. And there were actually reshoots where they inserted scenes into the existing pilot to replace other scenes that they maybe didn't want in the original airing. And if you look closely, I 
maybe it's just me, but I, I think I can see some physical differences in a lot of the actors. Um, because it was, I mean, a whole six months later, especially in Steve Carell, he just, he looks a little different to me from the beginning, from the pilot to uh, the second episode, Diversity Day. Just a couple other small things. There's a couple of the show's actual accountants, like accountants for the show The Office, appeared in the meeting scene in the front row, a couple women there. Rain Wilson's hairstyle for Dwight was actually done by himself, and he said he actually wore it like that when he was 16 years old. Then one of the coolest things, I think, from the commentary was that Ken Quapis, the director, he directed this episode and he directed the next episode we're about to talk about. He totally cleared out the crew. And it was just him and a cameraman and a sound guy holding like a boom arm or something like that. And so it was just these three crew members plus the cast living in the office. And that gave it a real sort of natural, actual documentary feel rather than having an entire television crew stand on, on side by with multiple cameras. It's really interesting that they made it such a personal experience. And beyond that, when you get to the talking heads, where it's one on one with the camera and the, the actor or the actress, they said that the director, Ken Quapis, did not really talk to them out of character. It was a very natural sort of back and forth actual interview in character kind of thing, which I think is really cool that they went for such a sort of authentic feel for the show. And it really sort of sets the tone for the rest of the series. And that Ken wouldn't say action. He would just sit there and say, okay, you can start, which is kind of scary. Uh, I think for an actor coming from an acting background is just, okay, so whenever we're ready, we'll just get into character and do this, which I think kind of um, promotes a a mindset of okay, so we'll always be in character because if, if if we don't have to get this this geared up, okay, now I have to be Pam, now I have to be Jim. If you just kind of live in that character, you're ready to start acting whenever uh, because you already are. Yeah, it, it really sort of takes away the concept of an on off button as an actor. You're just always on. You're just always on, right? And I think the the cat party improv between Jim and Pam was just that. It was an improv. They were told to go kind of flirt, kind of make some small talk. And Angela Kinsey, who plays Angela on the show, I believe was having a birthday party for her cat. And so they kind of used that as fuel for their, their improv and they put it in the show. So there's so much of the show that is just pure improv. There are writers for the show, but a lot of the actors have their own input as well. They 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 write lines. Steve Carell wrote a number of his lines. Rain Wilson did as well. Really, really fun to just be in that collaborative environment, I imagine. If something funny happens, you put it in the show or you put it in the bonus features, which has been really, really fun to watch. So one thing that we wanted to talk about before we move on to the next episode is each episode we talk about, we're going to come up with a sort of discussion topic for that episode based on what happens within the episode. So for uh, the episode, the pilot, I wanted to ask you, Katie, what is your list? Maybe semi-serious, but maybe not entirely serious of four people who, quote, really helped the world in so many ways that it's really beyond words. It, it's really incalculable. <laughs> so... Just off the top of your head, I haven't done a lot of planning for this because I sort of want it to be kind of off the cuff myself. But what are four people for you? Definitely off the cuff. Um, Sort of off the top of my head, my semi-serious list, semi-serious list will be, um, I'm going to say Shakespeare because he uh, sort of changed the course of entertainment forever. 
I'm going to say Steve Jobs because I'm sitting here recording this podcast on nearly every device that Apple has to offer. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Ellen DeGeneres on a whim. Sure. And you know what? Uh, because I am in Texas this week and it's July, I'm going to thank the creator of the uh, air conditioner. I think he <laughs> That's probably <a> <laughs> was um, a really, really influential person who uh, incalculable difference was made. I mean, really, to me. Sitting here in Texas with my AC actually off, I can't tell you how thankful I will be once I turn it back on. <laughs> so that, I think that's a good good choice. A quick Google search tells me that the the man we should thank is Willis Carrier. So thank you, Willis. Yes, thank you, Mr. Carrier. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Chad? I think I probably have to start with Billy Joel. He's my favorite musician. And uh, that has its own office connotations that I won't spoil now. But... Uh, Billy Joel is definitely on my list. Let's see, Walt Disney, because he's brought a lot of joy to my life and lots of entertainment. I want to thank who else? Let's see, J.K. Rowling, because of Harry Potter. And let's see if I could come up with one that's a little bit sillier. Um, I'm going to thank Erno Rubik, who designed the Rubik's Cube. I currently have probably 30 different Rubik's Cubes sitting in my room. It was a hobby I picked up a year or two ago, and uh, it's a good way to pass the time. So that, that's my list. <laughs> I have never been able to complete one, so kudos. It's a fun hobby. It's not too hard to solve after you look up how to do it online. Ah, fair. <laughs> I actually practice it sometimes to get faster. So my fastest solve is like 15 seconds, which is really cool. That's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's our discussion topic for this episode. Uh, we'll have another one for the next one. So let's move on to Diversity Day. Diversity Day. It aired on March 29th, 2005, directed by Ken Quapis, written by BJ Novak, who also plays Ryan on The Office. Yes, and in this episode, Michael has performed a racially insensitive imitation of a Chris Rock routine. Uh, not the most family-friendly comedian out there, and especially when performed by a white guy. And so corporate has mandated that a diversity presenter from Diversity Today, they've, they've decided that this guy needs to come out and conduct a seminar for Michael's benefit specifically, but everybody else is included so as not to embarrass him. And as expected, Michael fails to cooperate. He decides instead to run his own ill-informed quote-unquote seminar offending more people in the process, all while Jim struggles to close a big sale that will grant him 25% of his commission. So that's sort of the framework of the episode. Michael's um, extremely insensitive diversity training, I think, begins with, in the middle of the Diversity Today representative, who coincidentally, his name is Mr. Brown, <laughs> which is just an excellent writing uh, bit Michael interrupts Mr. Brown's uh, speech and says, okay, let's all go around the room and let's name another race that we are sexually attracted to. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's so the bad. most inappropriate thing in the middle of this sensitivity training for diversity, which is just right up Michael's alley comedically. I mean, he's just wrong words at the wrong time. Right. And Dwight interrupts and says, of course, he has to answer Michael's question. And so he says, I am attracted to white people and Indian. And sitting right next to him is <laughs> Kelly Kapoor, uh, the Indian representative of the office. <laughs> she she gives the best 
it's not quite side eye. It's why am I sitting here? <laughs> right. It's the most uncomfortable look. How far away can I get from this man? <laughs> right. Without leaving my seat. And of course, in the, the commentary, they reveal that that's Mindy Kaling's. Uh, this is actually the first time I think we've seen her. Uh, I don't think I she appears right. in the, the pilot at all. Uh, but she said they, they said that that was the one shot of that scene <laughs> where she wasn't hysterically laughing. Uh, so that, that's a fun little tidbit. And Mindy's a writer on the show as well. She's uh, an excellent writer. Another Dwight moment. You've got him shredding papers at his desk. And then he cuts off Jim's important phone call, uh, trying to make a sale, to retaliate after Jim turns off the shredder. And it's Dwight is the unreasonable one, as expected, and as he comes to be over the course of the show. He's so unreasonable in that moment because Jim was just trying to do his job. And Dwight thinks, yeah, I'm trying to do my job, too. But at the detriment of his deskmate, shredding papers loudly and credit cards even right next to the desk uh, where business is trying to be conducted. It's it's Jim's most important sale of the whole year. It's 25% of his commission. I mean, hopefully your deskmate would have a little bit of respect for that and, you know, not shred credit cards two feet from your face, but not Dwight. <laughs> right. It's definitely a jerk move on Dwight's part. Then in the, the diversity training itself, Mr. Brown has introduced the, the acronym of HERO. And Dwight says that's not what all it takes to be a hero. A hero is someone who kills people who wrong them. Right. Mr. Brown was, was listing some of the qualities of, of what it would take to be a diversity hero. And Dwight says, well, that's not a hero. A hero is someone who uh, is born out of childhood trauma, is an orphan, <laughs> Right. And he puts extra emphasis on killing people like he's got this warped sense of justice. And I think the funniest part about that scene, besides the look on Mr. Brown's face, who, by the way, is portrayed by one of the the, the TV show's producers, uh, Larry Wilmore. But Jim is in the background while Dwight is talking and he's got this this smirk on his face and is just sort of nodding uh, like, wow, keep entertaining me, Dwight. This is the, the most exciting thing that's happening today. <laughs> Every faux pas of Dwight's is, is a win for Jim. <laughs> that, that's for sure. And then later, Dwight is actually taking notes during Michael's diversity presentation as if Michael is offering any sort of valuable information. Right. Uh, which he's not. <laughs> he's he's not. <laughs> I think Michael's uh, diversity training is just, it, it's like, so you know that game Heads Up where, where you'll write a name or an animal or something? And you have to put the card on your forehead and the rest of the room tries to give you hints as to what the card reads. Well, that's sort of what Michael went for with his diversity training. So he wrote down a bunch of, of races and gave everyone a card and they had to tape the cards to their forehead and treat others in the room like the race on their forehead. And if that's not the most offensive, horrible way to go about diversity training and beyond that it's not even races that he's written on the board he's written nationalities for most of them right right uh, so, jamaican so yeah you've got jamaican you've got just italian black you've got italian black which of course goes to stanley oh yeah by by complete accident <laughs> unfortunately for michael uh but in the deleted scenes you actually see a couple more uh oscar i think was eskimo which i'm not sure if we saw in the actual episode or not but i think that was new to me and there was another guy who goes out for a smoke break and his card says West Nile. Like, that, that's <laughs> yes. what is that supposed to be? <laughs> and then a, a, another sort of funny deleted scene is that Jim, 
walks in on this after trying to make another call and he replaces Dwight's Asian card after he gets all upset about, oh no, am I a woman? And he writes Dwight's own name on the card without telling him and puts it on his forehead. So then Dwight is asking Pam all these these questions about the different nationalities or races he could be when the whole time he was trying to get Pam to describe himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's it's so bad, but so good. <laughs> And of course, of course, Michael grants himself the card reading Martin Luther King Jr. Because clearly he's he's giving the world a, a gift of diversity training. Yeah, my, Michael is so clueless. He when the diversity training first starts with Mr. Brown and he asks everybody to raise their hands if they're familiar with the Chris Rock routine. And then we have this slow zoom to Michael's face as he realized, oh, this this is happening because of me. And he goes on this rant about how it's okay if Chris Rock does this this groundbreaking routine, but if he does it, it's wrong. And he he actually goes as far as to insinuate that others are being racist against him because he can't do the same routine that Chris Rock is doing. So he's so clueless to the results of his actions. It, it never even occurred to him at any point until that moment when everybody else is raising their hands that the Chris Rock routine was incredibly racist and was offensive. And what does he do? He just takes it a step further with the note cards. Which is just such a brave episode. I mean, for, for a second episode of an entire series to touch on race is so risky. And I think they did it really well. I mean, it was still funny, but it, it made you uncomfortable. But it was, I don't know, I think it was a really, really brave effort. And I think their effort succeeded. I think so, too, because it, it introduces another sort of what becomes a trademark of the office uh, without giving anything huge away. There's a lot of these uncomfortable moments where they just sort of linger the camera and watch people react in the moment. And so there are moments when Michael will say something incredibly offensive and the, the camera just stays there as as we get a chance to see how everybody responds to that moment. There's a deleted scene where Michael is trying to come up with a rival acronym for Mr. Brown's hero. And so he comes up with the, the acronym inclusion, new attitudes, colorblind, expectations, sharing, and tolerance. And what does that spell? <laughs> Incest. And then... <laughs> So everybody is reacting to him spelling out the word incest, and then he goes and he tries to defend it. He says, oh, it's not ideal, but but you have to give me credit because I, I made a word. And then he goes into things like, you know, it, it's actually a pretty good word association because racism is bad and incest is bad. And then he has these other couple reasons that just make no sense to anybody but him and just further proves that he is absolutely clueless. Also, as far as character moments go, we talked about the first time we see Kelly Kapoor. This is also our first introduction to Toby. Yes. <laughs> who is our HR rep. And he's played by Paul Lieberstein, who's also one of the show writers. And what is interesting about Toby, the, the very first time we see him, he actually makes a pretty funny joke about the diversity training. So this is for Michael's diversity training meeting, he walks in and he makes a joke about sitting Indian style in a circle around the room. And Michael gets super serious for a second. And he says, get out. That was not funny. That was offensive. This is an environment of welcoming and you should just get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Which is such a well-written line. <laughs> that contrast. Get it's welcoming, but you need to get the hell out of here. And then he follows that up with immediately the super excited, okay, let's go. Like back in the moment after Toby's gone. And right. I wanted to ask you, what do you think causes Michael's disdain for Toby at this point? Without looking ahead, what do you think in this moment, like what does Michael have against Toby? Any ideas? <laughs> I think it's probably one of two things, uh, and maybe it's a combination. One is that he is from corporate. He doesn't really work for Michael. He works near Michael. He doesn't respond to Michael. He responds to presumably Jan or somebody else at corporate. Or maybe it's just something as basic as there are those people that just get under your skin and for whatever reason, you just can't like them. And I think maybe, maybe that's just um, Toby for Michael. He just... They they just don't get along very well. Well, I, I think I agree with you as far as the corporate answer goes, because especially within the context of this episode, Mr. Brown has been sent by corporate to sort of bring Michael in line. And so now Mr. Mr. Brown is gone and Toby is the sole representative of sort of the corporate uh, office corporation. Yeah. Or, or office for, for lack of a better term. Um, and so it's really easy to get antagonistic against him because he like you said, doesn't work for Michael and does technically work for corporate. So it, it, I think is an instance of, man, I'm just tired of these corporate people trying to tell me what to do. I'm going to find any excuse to get rid of this guy. So it can just be us quote office people. So yeah, that, that was at least my idea for this instance. Because it's pretty clear. I mean, Toby makes one joke and get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, He's and, not a fan. It's an, an immediate, uh, disposition change in Michael. It, there's no hesitation. Just get the hell out. Then we see Jim again showing affection towards Pam, even inadvertently. So he goes up to the receptionist desk where where Ryan is sitting, uh, wearing headphones. He's looking at the computer and he's watching the Dave Chappelle show. And Ryan says, she's cute, isn't she? Talking about a character on the screen. But Jim, because his mind is always on Pam, assumes that he's talking about Pam. He says, yeah, well, she's engaged. So uh, it, it's just th this really small indication of, man, this is the person that's always on my mind. And then later we get another indication of that when Jim has been having this crappy day. He's been trying to make this call and eventually he fails and loses the sale to Dwight of all people who, who got in, made the call. Uh, and it's because of Dwight actually that he didn't make the sale in the first place. And so it's just punch after punch, things not going his way. But at the end of the day, Pam falls asleep on his shoulder. And it's just a sweet, innocent little moment. It doesn't really mean anything beyond a, a friend just tired at the end of the day, at the end of a really long and stressful day, considering what Michael has put them through. And at the end of it, he says, not a bad day, despite everything going wrong. In that moment, Pam was his for just a second. And it, it meant a lot to him. And he's just trying not to smile. He's he's trying to hide that from the camera. It's uh not a bad day, you know. Right. It, it's a really sweet moment. Really sweet. I think a, a really interesting um, character moment was um, when Kelly comes in from a, a long call, a long meeting she's been having, and she's kind of like, "Oh yeah, it's been taking so long." And and Michael trying to um, exemplify what it means to be a diversity starts speaking really offensively to Kelly in an Indian accent and um, making stereotypes about convenience stores and just really, really offensive racist stuff. And Kelly slaps Michael in the face, which is 
the first time in these two episodes we've seen someone really stand up to Michael. And of course, Michael retorts with the genius, now she knows what it's like to be a minority. <laughs> As if she didn't already know. <laughs> As if Kelly Kapoor, an Indian woman, did not know what it was already like to be a minority. Now she knows because Michael taught her what it was like. Oh, just one of the many infuriating and brilliantly comedic things about Michael Scott. <laughs> Michael gives one of my favorite lines um, that I like to quote in this episode. Well, first, there's the the video he prepares for his presentation where he calls his company Diversity Tomorrow as opposed to Diversity Today because today is almost over. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> He's just one-upping this company that uh, already exists. Exactly. But then my favorite line from that instance is when he says, Abraham Lincoln once said that if you're a racist, I will attack you with the North. <laughs> that that never fails to to make me laugh pretty hysterically. We get our first uh, moment with Angela in this episode, really, where she is wearing a Jamaican note card on her forehead, and Kevin is trying to elicit uh, an answer from her. So it's our first moment, really, with Kevin too, and. Kevin is saying, you want to go to the beach? She says, sure. And he says, do you want to go get high? She says, no. And she just like shuts him down. Like, I am not interested in that at all. And then he he responds with, I think you do, man. <laughs> it's really it's like, like pseudo. <laughs> right, right. He's really just trying to make her figure it out. Uh, but J Angela's not having it. She's no nonsense, even this early in the show. Uh, so that's a funny moment with her. It's so indicative just of her character. She's just the most no-nonsense person in the office, even maybe more so than Dwight. And <laughs> pranks would not fly with Angela like they do with Dwight. Right. And then we get another classic Stanley eye roll moment where Michael is talking at the end of the episode. He's saying, you know, I just wanted to do this our way. And then he eventually gets onto the, the subject of colored greens, colored <laughs> greens. And Stanley steps in and says, it's collared greens not colored greens. And Michael says, no, no, that's ridiculous. They don't call them collared people. That's offensive. And because he doesn't want to mess with it, Stanley, again, just eye rolls and leaves it alone. A smart man. <laughs> Even funnier, the, the icing on the cake between Stanley and Michael in this episode is when they're leaving at the end of the day. And Michael totally like bro hugs Stanley and says, my man, on his way out. It's just another just subtle, subtle moment of this inadvertent racism that Michael is just completely unaware of. He's probably meaning well and just he's just oblivious to the fact that he might be insensitive. Right. And two episodes in, it is kind of hard to tell whether he does mean well, whether he is intentionally malicious looking back at the, the fake firing of Pam in the first episode. Uh, we're still sort of trying to figure out Michael, but so far he, he sort of seems overly antagonistic and it's yet to be revealed just whether there's a level of ineptitude or whether it's just him just trying to put on a show for everybody or anything like that. We don't know exactly who Michael is yet. And we're, we're revealing just a little bit uh, episode by episode. Now, one of the sort of extra commentary things that I picked up on first off the camera crew, at least in some capacity was involved with the show survivor early on in its run. So these are people who are accustomed to following people around as naturally as possible and without being obtrusive in the environment. So it's really cool that they were able to get in these reality show filmmakers and cameramen and make it really feel like it's authentically documentary. And that the director, um, in this case, Ken Quapis, would often stand behind the cameraman. And in the scene where Michael fake fires Pam, 
was tapping the cameraman on either side of his of his shoulders, uh, directing him where to look with the camera because it was all one shot. So he would he would veer left and look at Pam, or veer right and look at at Michael or Ryan because the cameraman only sees you know what's in his what's in the box, but the director is seeing the whole scene, and so just watching it through both of their eyes was kind of cool. Which is how Ken got that great moment of Ryan just shaking his head with his eyes down, <laughs> right. like. What is, you know, it's it's day one or two at the office, and what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> right, yeah, that, that that's a really cool piece of direction. And then we got a little tidbit that doesn't have much to do with the office itself, but B.J. Novak actually wrote the first play that John Krasinski was in, and B.J. was in it as well. That's right, they went to high school together. Yeah, so they, they had previous interaction, and I think they, they both said they're from the Boston area, if I remember correctly. I believe that's right. Yeah. And then uh, this wasn't from the commentary or anything, but I saw a picture online just the other day where I think John Krasinski and Mindy Kaling and I think even Ellie Kemper, who comes into the show later, all interned at Conan O'Brien's show in like the early 2000s. I believe that's right. They've all had kind of a history together, it seems like. It's interesting to see how these careers cross over over the years, even before they came to the office together. Now, because of the sort of controversial nature of this episode, (laughs) uh, it was difficult to come up with a related discussion topic. So instead, since this is our first episode and we're sort of wrapping up, uh, I thought it'd be cool to just briefly talk about what our first experience with the show was and sort of our experience since. So what was your first experience with The Office? Well, uh, it was several years ago. I think I was estimating I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school and my good friend Nina loved The Office and said, okay, Katie, you have to watch the show. And I really had no interest in watching it. It seemed boring and awkward and kind of hard to watch because it's just so painfully awkward sometimes. And I'm not one to watch awkward stuff, if that makes sense. Like, you know, those, those, videos of of fights or of confrontations like i'm not the one to watch those i don't do well with confrontations so watching a show where a lot of what happens are just really really uncomfortable moments uh, wasn't very appealing to me until i started watching and just fell in love and i it's it's been one of my favorites if not my favorite show since what about you chad I was late to the office game. I remember people watching it back in middle school or so when it was first airing, people talking about it the day after it aired, and I just wasn't into it. I didn't watch it. I There weren't really any network TV shows that I watched growing up. We watched maybe some bits of Survivor here and there at the dinner table or Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but I didn't follow many story-based TV shows if they weren't a cartoon when I was a kid. <laughs> so the first time I actually sat down and watched The Office, I'd maybe seen a couple episodes across high school at my friend Seth's house because he owned the DVDs. But the first time I sat down and just watched through the show was college. My roommate Andrew and I, we would like, we decided on a TV show each semester and we watched through what was available on Netflix. So I think our first semester might have been uh, Family Guy, possibly. And then our second semester was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And then I want to say The Office was probably our first semester of our sophomore year at Texas Tech. Oh, wow. And uh, at that point, they'd only aired through, what, season five or so? Season four or five? And so I, I think that's all I had watched up to that point. And a couple years later, I finally returned to the show. I, I might have watched the next couple of seasons as a came to Netflix, but I didn't watch the last couple seasons until my senior year of college. It was spring semester, the, uh, the, the semester before I student taught. 
and everybody had moved out. I was by myself in my apartment and I was on campus only to play at the graduation in the graduation band. And I like marathoned the entire last couple seasons <laughs> in one or two nights. It was just very little sleep, me hanging out in my room by myself watching The Office. And since then, I've watched it a couple times or a few times, actually, including last year. I said earlier, I watched through it twice, all 200 episodes twice. And that has sort of been my experience is just coming late to the game, but really just falling in love with it and uh, revisiting it as often as I can, because it's just such a, a great show to revisit. It really, I mean, I, I don't get sick of watching it. It's one of those shows that just kind of feels like home after a while. I've seen it so many times that it's just kind of my comfort show, as I like to say, kind of like comfort food. I just, I return to it all the time. Same here. So with these discussions, this is a great opportunity for you, the audience, to respond. Tell us what was your first office experience? What are your four uh, semi-serious people that are incalculable? <laughs> Reach out to us via Twitter, Facebook, social media, email. Um, we'll get to all that information in a second. But we want to hear what, what your experiences are because that makes this so much more fun. So please reach out. Answer these questions and then maybe even submit questions of your own. As I said earlier, this is our first episode. You probably already have our next couple episodes available. So as you listen, start thinking of ideas for season two, kind of things that you want to hear so that we can start inputting your feedback into the show. And it really becomes a group experience rather than just Katie and I deciding everything that's going into the show. Maybe you can participate as well. So that is the end of our official first episode of An American Workplace. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Hooray. <laughs> so all the places you can contact us, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. You can go ahead and start rate reviewing, subscribing on iTunes. If you're liking the show so far, that is the best way to help us out here in the, the beginning episodes is to share on iTunes how much you're enjoying the show, if you are, and helping us to grow through that. And even if you're watching this down the line, a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, go ahead, please rate, review, subscribe. We would really appreciate it. Definitely. And if you have any sort of additional feedback, maybe not entirely positive, I mean, we want you to be honest in your iTunes reviews. But if, if you have something that's maybe a little bit more critical, think about emailing us or even if you have ideas for the show, email us at it's workplacepod at gmail.com. Uh, and that way we can address you specifically one on one and get to your thoughts and share ours immediately in return. So Katie, where can people find your stuff specifically online? You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash k-a-t-i-e dot white. And the best place for me, as always, is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And if you're interested in my other show, if you haven't heard it before, The Cinescope Podcast, you can find it at the website thecinescopepodcast.com and wherever else podcasts can be found. In all of our show notes, all of our contact information can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much, Katie. I had a great time. I had a great time, Chad. Let's do this again soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, we already will have by the time you're listening, and I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode one of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode two for our discussion on the next two episodes of season one, Healthcare and the Alliance. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.